listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Tonight we're wrapping up our Lenten devotional series on the I Am sayings of Jesus. All of these different ways that Jesus identifies himself as God's son. I am the bread of life, he says. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And there are seven of these I Am sayings in the Gospel of John. We've only got time to cover five of them. And tonight we're going to hit on the last one. I am the resurrection and the life. And remember, when Jesus says this, I am, he makes these statements. He's not just kind of casually telling us something about himself, the way that we would say, I am a basketball player. I am a teacher. I am a mom. I am a dad. I am a farmer. No, Jesus is claiming to be God. You see, Yahweh, the Old Testament name for the God of Israel, literally means I am. Jesus is saying he's Yahweh, and that kind of claim would have been punishable by death. In fact, you'll see this in the Gospel of John. They pick up stones to, to stone him, to literally kill him, because this guy is claiming to be God. So here's the text, John 11, verses 17 through 27. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there now with me. John 11, verses 17 through 27. It goes like this. And basically, I should say, too, the, the context here, this is within the story of uh, Jesus' friend, Lazarus, who has just died, and Lisa, Jesus just arrives on the scene. And at this point, Lazarus, his friend, has been dead for four days, so at this point in the story, the funeral is over, the refreshments and coffee and jello salad have been served, he's late, which is no accident. And now he has an exchange with one of the dead man's relatives, his sister, Martha. So here's a text, John 11, beginning at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to, to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. I read further than I was supposed to. Excuse me here. Uh, let's call it good right there. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us during our 
time tonight. I pray that your name would be honored and glorified. We thank you for your word. We thank you that who you say you are, you are. God, you don't just, you don't just speak things, but you are the word made flesh. God, I pray that you would open our eyes and ears to see and to hear that anew this evening. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the hardest things that I as a pastor have to do is to try to console people after their loved one has just died. It's tough to know to say what to people who are grieving, isn't it? Most of the time, the friends and family of the deceased are so disoriented that they'll say anything just to avoid what feels to them like an uncomfortable silence. I've done it myself, and I'm learning the hard way that most of the time, it's actually my presence that matters more than my words. I'm not there to put things right. I'm not there to fix the situation or to try to lessen their pain. And much of the time, I'm not even there to pepper them with cliche Bible verses about how all things work together for good to those who love God. However true that may be, it's rarely what they need to hear. In fact, sometimes it's just kind of a defense mechanism to keep me from facing the unpleasant reality that I am utterly powerless in the face of death. And so are you. If the last few years of this pandemic have taught us anything, it's that. We are utterly powerless in the face of death. Sure, like, we can mitigate it, we can delay it, one, two, ten, maybe fifty years even. We can minimize the pain that it causes. And praise God for the advancement of modern medicine and the way that he uses doctors and nurses to preserve our lives. But even with all of that, we can't stop death from coming, can we? It's the one sure thing. At some point, it's coming for us all. In the words of Hamilton, of all things, death doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. It takes and it takes and it, it takes. So where did death come from, anyway? Some people say it's just kind of a natural part of the circle of life. Or they'll try to deny it by calling a funeral a celebration of life which confusingly implies that our birthday and our death day are equally joyful occasions. But the Bible speaks of death in a different way. The Apostle Paul calls it the last enemy. The wages of sin is, is death, he tells us in Romans. In other words, as Katie already mentioned, death resulted from Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden, right? They broke the world. We live in a death-infected world that's riven. Things are not how they're supposed to be. In fact, there is nothing more unnatural than death. But in our text today, Jesus marches straight into the dark heart of this death-weary world, stares it in the face, and says, I am the resurrection and life. Not, I'll tell you where to find the resurrection and the life. Or, let me tell you about the resurrection and the life. No, I am the resurrection and the life. 
And the strange thing that is hard for us to wrap our minds around with the story of Lazarus is that Jesus could have prevented his death. Very easily, Lazarus' sisters Mary and Martha, they actually visited Jesus just a few days prior while Lazarus was just sick, hoping that Jesus would heal him. But he didn't. He waited until Lazarus had died, and then he showed up on the scene. And if you've read the rest of the story, though, you know what happens. Lazarus doesn't stay dead for long. Here's what Scripture tells us. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Think of other places where you've heard of stones being laid across entrances. Take away the stone, he said. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It turns out then that there is actually someone who can stop death in its tracks. Not just delay it, not just mitigate it. Jesus has the power to reverse death completely. That's what resurrection is. It's undeath. It's undoing of death. It means to bring back to life someone who was dead. Because you see, death loses its grip in the presence of the resurrection and the life. And here's something important we need to understand. This story is not just about a man named Lazarus who lived in a town called Bethany 2,000 years ago that Jesus miraculously raised to life. It is that, but it's more. This story is also about everyone who believes. It's a promise that what happened to Lazarus will happen to you too. Jesus promises that one day our bodies, not just our souls, get this right, our bodies will rise from the dead and be remade, refashioned, but even better than before. Because this time we're not going to have any sin nature. We're not going to have any mixed motivation. No ulterior motives or selfish ambition. No broken relationships. No prodigal sons or daughters. No sickness or disease or anxiety or depression. No more Prozac or wheelchairs or colostomies or pornography or radiation treatments. Sometime after our time on earth is done, Jesus is going to come knocking on our coffin lids. He's going to wake us up to spend eternity with him. And we will find that compared to heaven, the 70 or 80 years we spent here on earth was never even really living at all. It was just a drop in the ocean, as the Apostle Paul tells us, in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, Therefore we do not lose heart, 
Though inwardly we are wasting, outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, unless Jesus comes back first, which Lord hastes the day, resurrection comes for us all. Sinners and saints, corporate bigwigs and street urchins, rich and poor, Sunday school teachers and drug dealers, priests and murderers alike, the only difference is that some of us will be raised to eternal life and some will be raised to eternal death, which the book of Revelation calls the burning lake of fire and we in modern-day language referred to as hell, the final place of everlasting pain and torment. And you don't end up in hell because your bad deeds outweigh your good deeds on God's divine scales or something. You don't end up there because you smoked too much or you gambled too much. You end up there for refusing to believe in Jesus. For rejecting the Son of God. Hell is a freely chosen destination for those who want nothing to do with God's grace and forgiveness and who insist on paving their own way to heaven. And they say they have no need for Christ, the resurrection and the life. If your desire is to stay in that empty tomb, in that dark place in your grave clothes with the stench of death filling your nostrils rather than come into the light in the presence of Jesus, then in the end, God will let you have your way. So here's the bottom line. Everything in your life hinges on how you answer Jesus' question. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Here it is. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? What about you? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? They came for you to save you from your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. Do you believe this? How you answer that question determines your destiny. And let me say this too. If you're here tonight and you find yourself believing for the first time, or maybe even just the first time in a while, if you find yourself making your own I am Statement: I am at the end of my rope, a broken, helpless sinner living in a broken, helpless world, and I need Jesus. If that's you tonight, would you do me a favor? Would you come up and find me after the service? Because I would love to pray with you and to thank God for his gift of faith in your life. I'd love to celebrate that with you. Many, many others here would as well.
As we wrap up our, our time together and our whole series here on the I Am statements of, of Jesus, I just want to leave you with, with one closing thought. For the Christian, eternal life is not just a future hope, but a present reality. For the Christian, eternal life is not just a future hope, but a present reality. That means we don't have to wait until we die to experience eternal life. You see, if we truly have Jesus in the here and now, and Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that means we also live a resurrected life. Ephesians 2.6 says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Notice the tense of the verbs here. They're in the past tense, which, which means it's a completed action. We are raised up with Jesus Christ right now. We are seated in the heavenly realms right now. In a very real sense, then, we participate in the resurrection life right now. In a death-weary world, Christians get to be agents of hope, bearing witness to the resurrection in our daily lives. All because of Jesus, who stared death in the face and never blinked. He is the great I am. Yahweh, fully God and yet fully man, who came to save us from the mess we made by shedding his own blood at the cross. And dear friends, for you, what that means is you are forgiven, you are free, you are loved unconditionally, and death has no hold on you. All because of Jesus, the resurrection, and the life. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.